In a time where we have hundreds of conversations in a day, sometimes we need to slow down and learn a person's journey. Knowing so many extraordinary people from various walks of life has led me to believe that we need to unravel the answers to so many questions that often go unanswered. This is where we talk about the tough stuff that makes us extraordinary. My name is Liv, and I believe these conversations hold tremendous value in the journey to discover who we are and who we share our world with. Welcome to Ordinary Conversations with Extraordinary People. This is The Modern Badass. Hi everyone, it's Liv, and welcome to the second part of my four-part series about the chapters that have made me who I am today. I was so lucky to have an array of experiences in my early 20s that remain some of my fondest memories with some amazing people. I still can't really believe that my parents let me move halfway around the world at 21 years old, but the more I think about it, the more I'm starting to realize that I probably just told them that's what I was doing and they just had to go along with it. So here we are with the exploration chapter of my life that followed my time in cleats. Thank you so much for listening to this second bonus episode of the Modern Badass Podcast. Settle in and enjoy the ride. spent a lot of time on the bus. Fortunately, it wasn't public transit. I was lucky enough to be driven to high school each day. I'm talking about those big charter buses, the ones with the cargo compartments below and the bathroom in the back. The smell of the dusty velour fabric on the seats is being brought back to the back of my throat as I think about it, and it's just as nauseating as I remember it being. Those buses got us from point A to point B, from field to field, from hotel to hotel. I've been to so many states and cities and college campuses, but I knew at 21 years old that there was so much more to see. As I entered my final semester of my undergraduate degree, I started to wonder what was coming next. So here we go on this wild ride. Where did I come from? Where was I? And where was I going next? I had studied French since grade one. My parents put me in French immersion at my elementary school a year late. I remember not having any idea what was really going on other than I didn't know how to win the prizes that the librarian was giving out for doing certain things. I think I caught up pretty quickly, but I honestly don't really remember. I ended up doing okay and my fluency increased through elementary school and then into high school. It was just something that I did. I didn't really think all that much of it. I didn't really love it, but I didn't hate it either. When I got to college at Austin Peay, I didn't take any French courses my freshman year. I was pretty set on following a health and human performance route and hopefully going on to work in the sport medicine field or something related to athletics. The sport world, for me, was all I really knew and cared about at that point. If I could make a career of it, then it was a done deal. I went home that summer and visited my old high school in Surrey where my sister is still a student. I remember walking into my former social study teacher's classroom and he struck up a conversation with me in French. I fumbled over my words and I was actually barely able to piece together enough words to reply to him in the language that I had practiced for 12 years. 
The old people that always use the saying, use it or lose it, they weren't kidding, I guess. A year removed from my French education, I had lost it. But the same way that I was never the best soccer player, I was never the best French student either. But I figured that 12 years in an immersion program, you know, I should be able to at least scrape by with a simple conversation. I was shocked, annoyed, and suddenly motivated to get it back. In my second year, I found out that I could get some credits for first year French courses by taking a challenge exam. So I went ahead and did that thinking it would get me a little bit closer to graduation and that the language would eventually come back to me. Fortunately, my written French was still okay, and it was the spontaneous conversational piece that was the slow one to come back. I did well enough on the test to be placed in the intermediate French classes. Once I went in there, I knew I had found a new home. While my identity as a soccer player was in limbo, my ability to converse and thrive in these small French classes was shaping a whole new side of me. I changed my major to French language studies and took on a health and human performance minor to keep one foot in that door, just in case. One day, it came up in a conversation with a classmate that she was planning to study abroad. I was a little bit surprised that little Austin P offered such opportunities. I could go to France for a semester? I could go to Quebec for a summer? With soccer being such a major part of why I was at Austin P in the first place, a semester in France wasn't an option that I explored. But Quebec? You mean I could study abroad in my own country? I couldn't help but to laugh a little bit at that. But then I applied during the summer before my, uh, before my senior year of college. I applied and I got in. So off to Quebec I went. It was the first time I'd ever traveled to a French-speaking part of the world. It took 15 years of studying French to finally be able to practice it in a truly immersive environment. Such a wonderful experience and something that truly left me wondering where else French could take me. During my senior year of soccer at Austin P, I tore my ACL. Although I had been through a number of surgeries already at that point, that one was the nail in the coffin. Soccer was done for me, and I had my knee surgically repaired, and I spent that year completing my courses toward my major. I still felt antsy about what was coming next for me. I wondered what other opportunities were still out there. I knew that soccer wasn't the biggest part of who I was anymore, and that moving forward, new opportunities would need to arise to make me feel whole, to make me feel worthy, and to make me feel like I have something else to look forward to in life. I don't know how the opportunity came to me. I can't quite remember. Perhaps it was some late night Googling, or maybe it was, was, it was one of my French professors at my university that gave me the information. Either way, I applied for an English teaching job in France on a bit of a whim. Sure, I put some time and thought into my application, and the prospect of flying across the Atlantic following my senior year of college both excited and terrified me but I don't think that the barely 21-year-old version of myself truly grasped what this opportunity meant. Even as I think of it now, I realize that at that point, I had been living abroad in the US for nearly four years, but Europe was a whole new level of foreign, a new level of far away adventure. The application asked me for my top three choices of region in France. 
I was so naive and barely knew anything about the country whose language I'd been speaking and studying for a decade and a half. I looked at a map and I knew cities, Paris, Lyon, Marseille, Bordeaux, Nice, and I felt as though I should just naturally pick the places I had heard of. How could I pick a place to live if I had never even visited the country before? Well, upon further research, I decided to pick a place based on a few criteria. I wanted a place that would be affordable, so Paris and Nice were somewhat out of the question. I wanted a region that was accessible, preferably with an airport and a train station. I envisioned a big city where I could meet other travelers, experience European nightlife, and possibly settle in for another chapter of my life with experiences that would help me grow out of soccer player live and into world traveler live. I picked Grenoble. The weather looked similar to that of Vancouver's. It was a medium, big-sized city. They hosted a Winter Olympics in 1968, which was pretty cool. And it looked to be a decent home base for my adventures to come. So let me tell you, when I got an email the spring of my senior year of college letting me know that I would be employed at École Albin Mazon in L'Argentière, I thought the organization that had hired me was mistaken. I googled it right away. L'Argentière is like two and a half hours from my city of choice. The address of the school popped up with some information. This school had approximately 80 students in four classes. I'd never even heard of a school that small. What the hell was I getting myself into? Upon doing some more research, I found out that L'Argentière was the smallest sub-prefecture in all of France, whatever the heck that means. At the time, I had more Facebook friends than L'Argentière had residents. Their Wikipedia page didn't even require scrolling. Like, oh my god, what am I getting myself into? Some time went by, and I eventually accepted the job. I was taking a risk that I had no idea about. Even thinking about it nearly 10 years later still makes my tummy turn a little bit in nervousness. I had no clue what I was in for, and even now, having lived it and survived it, I still can't believe it's something that I actually did. I was able to touch base with the previous English teacher from École Albin Mazon on Facebook. Her name was Louise, and she was British. She was lovely, and she reassured me probably close to a thousand times and promised that I would have an excellent experience. One little tidbit of advice that she gave me was to live outside little itty-bitty L'Argentière and in the bigger town of Aubena. Cue my next Google search. Awesome. This place has a population of 11,000 people. It's about the same size as my university. A bit better. But still not the city experience I craved. Oh well. Within the next few weeks, I got in touch with the fellow language teachers that had been assigned to the region. Before long, I was conversing with people from Italy, Spain, Wales, the US, Argentina, India, Germany, and our common language of communication was French. How cool is that? Meanwhile, back in Tennessee where I was finishing my degree, full plans were underway for a big road trip out west in the kidnapper van we dubbed Old Faithful. A group of us loaded her up with sandwiches, vodka, and sleeping bags, and drove into the Northwest for close to 24 hours until we got to Wheatland, Wyoming. What a way to see flat America. Getting to Wyoming was an adventure. 
There were a lot of snacks consumed, a number of pit stops where we piled out of the kidnapper van, and people stared. There was a bit of panic every time we saw a cop, because to this day, I'm not entirely sure there were enough seatbelts or even seats in that van for the amount of people we were transporting. And Sarah has a real knack for getting pulled over. Mary Beth and Sarah, two of my former teammates, were some of the more responsible, adult-like figures that were with us on that trip and made sure we got to where we were going. Most of the time, I'll admit, I didn't even know where we were going. When we got to Wheatland, we were greeted by Julianne and Cleve, who were Mary Beth's family friends. We were exhausted, but we were in for a real treat. This was the first of many times that I was greeted with love and kindness from complete strangers while traveling. These amazing people took in six college-age girls, fresh off a 20-something hour road trip in a kidnapper van, and brought them into their home. They let us shower, they fed us like we were some form of royalty, and they let us spend the night with them. On our second day, we hit the dirt roads in Old Faithful as we followed Julianne and Cleve to their family's cabin. Again, I was just in awe of the grace of two people that I considered to be complete strangers shortly before. The way people open their arms and welcome people into their world with such love and affection and selflessness was just amazing to me. From there, we ventured up to Yellowstone National Park. Now, I'd heard about Yellowstone because, well, it's one of the greatest U.S. national parks, but I don't think I truly grasped what it meant to stand in that place and take it all in. We camped there for a few nights. We saw bison. We hiked. We saw geysers and the magnificent Old Faithful. I was in a place in my life where I was so nervous about the future. I was about to leave this safe realm with the friendships that I had nurtured over the years, and I was about to jump into the future with so much unknown. I think that in that nervousness, some of the beauty of just being in the moment, being in Yellowstone and taking it all in was lost. And I realize now that is okay with me. I did what I needed to do at the time to get through. From Yellowstone, we headed south to the breathtakingly beautiful state of Utah. We picked up our teammate Hannah at some point and we met Sarah's uh, extended family near Salt Lake City, where we got ready for our San Juan River adventure. Again, people that were complete strangers to me afforded me the opportunity to experience something that otherwise I never would have experienced. We were taken by river raft on an excursion down the San Juan River, where we spent our days on the water surrounded by walls of red rocks and our evenings camping on the riverbanks, playing beer can baseball and sleeping under the stars. It was magical to be in the thick of something so much bigger than ourselves, so far from the reality we knew and in the hands of someone who knew exactly what they were doing. We were so far away from everyone, yet I never felt so connected to everything. The river portion of our trip ended and we got back to the van. We had a mountain biking adventure in Moab where I thought I was going to die of dehydration. From there, we headed to Colorado, a state I'd heard so much about. We did a couple of hikes and we camped. I think we camped somewhere near Vail or Aspen or some fancy place that was known for skiing. I remember we went for lunch in a ski village. 
and we knew we wouldn't be able to afford anything there. So I had water and the free chips and salsa that they give to every table while you decide what to order. And then we got the heck out of there. Our gas tank had been on empty for a while. So as we drove through these ritzy mountain resorts, we threw Old Faithful into neutral down the hills as we passed expensive gas prices, hoping we would get to something a little more affordable for us. And we eventually did. And we were able to make it to Denver, a big city after some time in the wilderness. This was our last stop on our Wild America tour, and we wanted to go out with a bang. After shopping with a woman that we met on the street who desperately needed some clothes and toiletries to get ready for her job interview the next day, we got ready for a big night out on the town. We baby wiped ourselves, ourselves down, we put on what was left of our clean clothes, and we headed out for the night. We parked Old Faithful in a corporate building's garage. We were pretty confident we wouldn't have to pay for parking there, and it seemed pretty empty, so we might even be able to get away with pitching our tent in the stall next to us when we stumbled back to our home base later that evening. One thing you need to understand about me and these girls that I was traveling with is that we have a tendency to get carried away. And we knew that my time in the U.S. was coming to a close and we were just trying to make the most of every single moment. So in this situation, one thing led to another and we got carried away as usual. Before we knew it, we were being asked rather firmly by people with badges to leave the city of Denver immediately. To this day, nearly a decade later, I still get a little nervous even just having a layover in Denver when I'm flying. But away we went as we were asked, chaos behind us, eastbound for Tennessee. That trip taught me a few big things. First of all, it taught me that this world is a big place and that there was so much to be explored. I thought I had been places and seen things. I hadn't. I had been to a lot of hotels and soccer fields, and I had been to a few teammates' hometowns for Thanksgivings and Easters, but I hadn't truly explored. I hadn't seen anything. Second of all, that trip taught me that you learn by doing and that you make mistakes along the way and you better just hope they don't kill you. I had never mountain biked until we went to Moab, Utah, which is world renowned for its mountain biking. I hopped on a bike and was pretty far out of my league and then I got separated from my group and I didn't have any water with me on that hot day in the desert. I was severely dehydrated and it, I, I was actually lucky it didn't become an urgent medical situation. But since then, I haven't neglected my hydration needs on hundreds of adventures I've taken since that day. I learned my lesson that day and I remember it often. And finally, I learned that no adventure will ever feel like enough. After that trip, I started researching what other places I could see. Where else could my feet take me? What parks and outdoor spaces are within my reach? I've been to a number of beautiful places over the years, and it always leaves me searching for the next best place. An experience can be joyous and memorable, but can it ever be truly fulfilling? Fast forward four months to the fall of 2012. A one-way ticket was booked, bags were packed, and I was ready for the big move to Europe. Of course, my contract was only nine months, but who knows what new opportunities could come of this big adventure. Prior to my departure, I signed a lease for a house I had never seen, in a town I had never visited, with future roommates I had never met. 
Talk about nerve-wracking. Fresh out of an experience where I met teammates that I then considered family, jumping into the unknown was a pit in my stomach I had not had to face before. I arrived in Obana after taking a train from the airport and then a bus from the closest train station. Etta, one of my roommates, picked me up from the bus station and drove me through this quaint little village to our rented house. I couldn't believe that the entire town was made up of cobblestone roadways, old buildings with shutters over the windows. We drove past a freaking castle on the way to our house. I felt like I was driving through the opening scene in Beauty, in, uh, Beauty and the Beast where Belle dances around her little French town. Our house was in the countryside, outside the main Centreville area. We lived there for the first few weeks in a small house next to a creek in an area where chickens roamed wherever they like. I went for a run one morning and I couldn't continue because there were a couple dozen goats blocking the road. Etta and Juan Pablo were lovely roommates. Etta is German and Juan Pablo is Argentinian and we were all in Obana as part of the language assistant program sponsored by the French government. Work started up and I had to make the 35 minute long bus trip two mornings a week to La Gentière with Kate another language teacher who came from Wales. The previous English teacher at my school was right. Living in Aubena was definitely a better choice. La Chantière was adorable, but it was smaller than my university's campus, and I most certainly would have had a hard time having a social life. It didn't take me long to realize that I had no idea what I was doing as an English teacher to children who spoke close to no English. There were children as young as three years old, and I was supposed to teach them their first English words with no formal training? I managed, it wasn't pretty, and now as a trained teacher, and in hindsight, I don't know how much they actually learned. Embarrassingly enough, I can now admit that I think I was just using the job as a reason to be in Europe. I worked on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so my Friday to Monday each week was reserved for local sightseeing or even the odd weekend trip. We also got frequent holidays, two weeks at a time, a few times that year. The language assistants frequently gathered to cook together, hit up the local bar together, and go to the Saturday market when we were all in town. But there were a lot of moments where people went out of town on a whim, and sometimes we weren't all together. And for the first time, I felt lonely. I'd always had teammates or roommates that had a similar schedule to me, but now we were just people that were living together. And that was a huge adjustment for me. For someone who had been living away from home for the past four years, it felt weird to feel this homesick. I pushed through the feelings and spent a lot of time writing. I felt deeply and reflected often because I had the time to do so. I miss those days, the days where I could sit with my feet in the creek and wonder where the water was going, or the days where I could sit with my tea in the front yard and feel the warmth on a warm October day. I had time for, for all of those magnificent things at that point in my life. And I could probably find time now, but I just don't. But my first month or two in Europe was a strange combination of happiness, peace, and a longing to return to the previous chapter in my life. Anyway, 
my homesickness finally subsided with time and I wound up having a number of adventures during my time in Europe. One of the beautiful things about being in France was how central of a location it was for travel. My first trip was a few stops long that eventually landed me in Barcelona. While my first night in Barcelona was one of the sketchiest nights of my entire life, the trip as a whole was memorable. I unfortunately had to learn the hard way that couch surfing as a solo female and opting to sleep on a solo man's couch can make for some really uncomfortable situations when he makes some moves on you and then locks the apartment door with a key from the inside, leaving you trapped. Anyway, like I said earlier, learning lessons is part of adventuring and you just have to hope that the process doesn't kill you along the way. Having studied the French language since grade one, I'd always dreamt of seeing Paris. Fortunately, another friend named Sarah from back home was living in Paris at the time as an English teacher herself. I used to work with Sarah at the city of Surrey and we had had tons of memories together, teaching summer camps and going to local nightclubs. I decided to go visit her for the first time during the weekend of my 22nd birthday. And I was blown away when I stepped out of the metro when she had told me to, to get off at a certain station. And I remember asking her, well, which direction will I know where to go? And she said, walk in the direction of the Eiffel Tower. I will meet you there. And I said, well, wh where will I find the Eiffel Tower? And I came up the stairs of the metro and I looked up and it was far away, but it was right there in front of me all at the same time. It looked like I was standing in front of a photograph. I didn't know the sight of something could make me cry. And I think that was the first time that it ever did. There were still so many things I didn't know. Admittedly, I went to Europe quite ignorantly, not in a malicious way, but truly just not knowing what there was out there. Guidebooks were my friend and hostel tours were the norm for me. I was truly a typical, typical tourist in so many senses. I went to the popular spots, the tourist traps, and I likely overpaid for most things I experienced. The 30-year-old version of myself regrets not exploring the small towns and immersing myself in the culture of various places. The 22-year-old version of myself at that time was still going to nightclubs and live music bars and museums. A good experience, but different than the experience I would choose if I were to do it all again today. It's funny how I grew so much in my confidence that year, but yet I was still so insecure. Once again, I was spending significant time on buses. And just to let you know, the smell was the same on European buses as it was on North American buses. Stale, dusty velour seats and windows that don't open. One of my American roommates, Ashley, came to visit me. We explored Rome, Paris, and Amsterdam together. A little bit of America came to me and it was so great. We laughed in each place, met random people, ate like queens, and unknowingly wandered everywhere and anywhere. A couple of weeks later, my sister came to Europe with her school tour, and we were able to spend time together like we hadn't spent time together before. And although she was with her friends, I felt this amazing 
and and much needed connection to her when I was almost in the midst of a second round of homesickness. I, I love home and I love Europe, but I was just feeling disconnected from the work that I was doing. And, and I really needed to see her at that point. And I'm so appreciative of that. Before long, it was time to say goodbye to my students. And although I feel as though uh, I did little more than teach them numbers and colors and shapes and how to ask to go to the bathroom in English, I did actually form bonds with these little humans and I was sad to be leaving them. This was my first taste of teaching and it was formative for my decision to continue pursuing teaching and brought me to where I am today. And in that, my final European adventure was coming up. At the end of our contracts, a few of us language teachers planned a trip to Budapest, Bratislava, Vienna, and Prague as our final hurrah. Seeing as that it was the end of our contracts and we needed to budget enough money to get us home back to our respective countries at the end of our trip, we opted for the cheapest form of transportation. Yes, we took a bus, an 18 hour bus ride from Paris to Budapest. Mind you, that is after the six hours it took for us to get from Obena to Paris to catch our bus. Starting your trip off with 24 hours of travel, zero stars, do not recommend. After that though, that trip was great. By that point, a language barrier didn't phase me as much. I didn't speak Hungarian, Slovakian, German, or Czech, and they didn't bear any similarities to French, really, but I was happy to be more comfortable with exploring. The only thing we planned for that trip was our accommodations and our travel between each city. Aside from that, we had no real plan, and we were happy to keep it that way. We went to the opera in Vienna, we drank a ton of beer in Prague, Bratislava was underwhelming, but very clean, and we went to the traditional thermal baths in Budapest. It was lovely. It was liberating. And though I had a bout of homesickness early on and then another one later on, I was sad that my time in Europe was coming to a close. I was convinced that I was going to move back to Paris after a brief stint at home. It was my favorite city that I'd seen, and I was determined to go home, work, save money, and come back to Paris. Little did, did I know that life had other plans for me. I still haven't been back to the country I called home for those 10 months. With that being said, Europe is still on my radar as a destination that I will visit again. I covered a lot of ground during my time there, but there's so much more to see through a more mature lens. We are currently in our second year of a global pandemic, so it remains to be seen when that type of travel can occur again. But in the meantime, I'm very much enjoying the exploration of my own beautiful British Columbia backyard. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Badass Podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to share it with a friend or send us a DM on Instagram at the Modern Badass Podcast to tell us what you think as we continue on this path of storytelling. We can now be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Can't wait for you to join us next Monday at noon for our next episode.